Hi once again, brothers and sisters, and friends and seekers, and everyone in between. This is Christ View versus World View, which, as you know or may not know, is named that because there is a distinct difference between the way the world views things and the way the Father, the way the Kingdom, the way Christ, the way the Holy Spirit views things. And you can't have two versions of the truth. One's truth and one's error. So, if you don't have, and I don't have, the right view, which is God's truth and his perspective, then no matter how things, how true things may be or how real they may seem, they are not the way things actually are. Things in heaven and earth are temporal and they pass away. Things of the kingdom, the supernatural world, the spiritual realm, where God dwells, things are eternal. Having said that, there is... A phrase that I'm sure you've heard probably quite often and I won't say that it's always wrong and it's not always bad intentioned or deceitful or anything it's very well intentioned most of the times and I think a lot of times it's absolutely true but it's a broad statement and it's not specific enough in terms of how they explain it to people and so people are left with an improper understanding of what that is and it can be flat out wrong or it can at least be too vague or it can produce um, error in your faith or whatever the case may be it comes from genesis and it says made in the image of god like i said we all know that just because we hear something spoken or even repeated many times, either in the Word or the body of Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true or correct. We're all grown in the Lord, okay, but we have to rightly divide the Word of Truth. I, if I don't have a proper understanding of something yet, or I have not been able to delve into it, or I think I'm right, or I believe I'm right, but I can't say definitively, this is what the Word of God says. You'll very, very rarely hear me ever utter my mouth and utter, my, utter words and speak about something. Like I said, it isn't necessarily wrong most of the time, but many times it is wrong and it isn't correct, and we need to rectify that. Many times it is, like we said, many times it's not, okay? But we need to take, we feel the need to take someone's word for it rather than looking up for looking it up for ourselves. I know I'm guilty of that in the past. Maybe you are because, I mean, we don't have time or we get distracted or because the other person, this is probably the main thing, the other person is supposedly more knowledgeable on a subject, even in a worldly sense of something. So, we just kind of tend to accept it as true. And sometimes we even pass it on to others in error, whether we realize it or not. So, you know, what happens in the world happens in the kingdom, but we always think that somebody else is going to know something more about a particular subject. And so, when we hear it, if it comes up in conversation or whatever the case is, we will repeat it. And if it's not right, then the error is going to be repeated, repeated, repeated 
and the next thing you know, you've got a whole bunch of believers believing something that's not true. Either it needs to be more specific, or it needs to be looked into more closely in the context, or it, or it needs to be in this situation, but not in that situation. And so it does cause a lot of grief, and we don't ever want to do that with truth, especially even though it feels good and it's encouraging and it sounds great, we don't want to hear the words made in the image of God in a general sense. Not to a Christian, but certainly not to an unbeliever. Every once in a while, a long while, a phrase like this one will be highlighted, I guess you could say, in my spirit. Something that just gets my attention. It's the Lord. I will kind of mull it over for a while sometimes, but then I too might get busy or distracted with good things or other things. Or just not have the time to delve into it, and then never get around to it, or just plain, flat-out distractions. But we need to stop intentionally and seek Jesus and his word and find out the truth of the matter for the sake of a good conscience, for rightly dividing the word of truth, all these things the Bible tells us to do, and to not have errors or cracks in our spiritual foundations and walls. That's very important. You know how important it is in a physical house, how much more in the house of God, in a living house, in a living building with living stones. Like the Bible says, we are living stones. And it says we're being built by God into a spiritual house. And what he builds is good and it lasts forever. So the phrase that we're delving into is probably something you've heard before. Like I said, it may not be wrong, but it is used and understood in the incorrect context, or it's flat out used wrongly sometimes, and that's what we have to correct. If not, it introduces a bad brick, so to speak, into our spiritual house. And if it's not understood, and it's not propagate, propagated rightly, will spread to other bricks in our spiritual house. And this just can't be, especially, especially in this day and age. And the phrase I'm talking about is what I used, I told you about before. The phrase I'm talking about is that we are made in the image of God. Now let me explain that. Rather, let me explain what God says about that. Many times this is used to encourage believers, and this is good. Many times this is used to speak to all of mankind, both saved and unsaved. And this is where the crack starts. In Genesis 1.26, the Bible says, Let us make man in our image. Yes, this Hebrew word for image means image, obviously, or likeness, or it even says phantom like a shadow or a ghost of something, okay? And that's in Strong's Concordance. And if you want to look it up, it's the number H, for because it's Hebrew, 6754. That's H6754. And another word is like it, okay? And I won't say like it in a different meaning. I mean, one is an adjective, one's a noun or something like that. So it's got a separate number. And it's H6755. And it means image, expression or statue the first is positive and the second is negative and the first one 
the first is the one people of God are referring to, so that's good. In the New Testament Greek, the same word is always used. G for Greek, 1504, and it can be and is used both positively and negatively, and it means representation, or form, or again image and likeness. Notice that the word representation is added here, and it's important because Scripture tells us we, as Christians, called by his holy name, are his representatives, and some versions say ambassadors. Second Corinthians, brothers and sisters, 5.20, you remember this, we are ambassadors for Christ, or we are representatives for Christ. God making his appeal for salvation through us. So they say, we say, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, since we are Christ's ambassadors, we need to make sure we are properly and rightly mirroring his image and likeness and his representation. And this is why it's paramount to not just toss around the phrase image of God somewhat carelessly or liberally, regardless of our intentions. We need to understand it and use it the way the Bible intends, especially since it's being used frequently and because we live in such a, a seeker-friendly atmosphere. And this, like the gospel of Christ, our Lord and Master, can't be watered down or sweetened up, even for the sake of salvation or making disciples. Now, what does it mean to be made in the image or likeness of God? Well, it means we're intelligent, we have life, we have dominion and responsibility, we have souls that are eternal, we can communicate, we can make choices, we can create to a limited extent. We have the ability to distinguish, to distinguish between right and wrong. We have the ability, the capacity to love. But it does not mean that we're perfect and sinless or pure. Let me say that again. But it does not mean that we are perfect and sinless or pure as God is. And that's important to know because if we're made in the image of God and we think we're sinless or blameless or pure, that part is wrong. And that's a serious wrong. We need to understand that. Especially for the unsaved. And we've got countless people in the world today and in the government today and in the culture today that are always about building people up. And that's good to a certain extent. But if all you do is build people up all the time, whether it's right or wrong, and many of the times it's not true, then you've got people going around thinking how wonderful they are, and God's trying to tell them, no, you're sinners. Not to bring you down, but if I'm going to save you from your sins, and I'm going to be able to bring you into everlasting life and salvation and eternity with me, I can't go around just petting you and stroking you and telling you how wonderful you are all the time. I have to tell you that you're not perfect, that you're not sinless, and you're not pure. That's just a fact. If I'm a doctor and I want to heal you, I can't say, oh, your arm's fine. 
<laughs> it makes you feel better because you don't have to go to the hospital. You won't have a hospital bill. You won't, you know, all those things. You won't have, a, you won't have a cast. You won't have to have any uh, any of those things. But if I don't tell you the truth, even if you don't like to hear it, I need to tell you. You know what? Your arm's broken, and I need to put it. In, I need to straighten it out. Put it in a cast. Whatever I need to do, let you limit your movement for a while until the bone grows back and it's back in the right position and it's strong and healthy. Then you can use it right. Well, isn't that the goal? Is the goal to make people feel better in the short term, but really kill their long term, <laughs> or is it better to be straight and frank with them, tell them the truth? in the hopes that their long-term decision-making will produce far better and far longer-lasting results. That's what God is concerned about. So we can go around telling people, you're made in the image of God, you're made in the image of God, you're made in the image of God. But you're th So when you hear that, what do you think? Do you think, I'm good? Maybe you don't know exactly what it means, but I think you're going to take away something positive from it rather than something negative from it. And especially if you don't understand, you're liable to just go, okay, I'm good the way I am and keep on going. That's not the purpose behind it. It's not the truth, at least not all the truth. And that's not what God wants to do in order to save your souls. So we can't leave with the impression that we're good. We have to know that we're not sinless, we're not perfect, and we're not pure. So if we leave that part out of the definition of what it means in the phrase to say you're made in the image of God then we're not made in the image of God because God is not imperfect. He's perfect. He's not sinful. He is sinless. He's not blemished or stained. He is pure. So if we're imperfect, which we are, and we're sinful, which we are, and we're, and we're impure or blemished or stained, which we are, then we are not really made exactly in the image of God. Please understand this. It's crucial. And even before sin entered the world, through our choice to disobey God's holy and authoritative command. Man was not the same as God. Man was not equal with God. In fact, man was made in his likeness, not his perfect mirrored, you know, um, facsimile. But he was not God himself. Now this understanding, this knowledge, this teaching may seem or even be controversial to some or many, but the Holy Spirit of God taught me and revealed to me an aspect of this that must be proclaimed and understood, and that's why I'm sharing it. And that is that in order to be truly made in His image and likeness and to be His true representatives and ambassadors, we have to have one characteristic among all the rest that we don't currently possess. And no one has since Cain came into the world. Who's Cain? Okay, well, he's the first offspring of uh, the firstborn human being. Okay, this aspect which Adam and Eve had as the first fruit of God's creation on the earth, like himself, is sinlessness. Okay, let me say that, that again. If we are truly to be made in the image and likeness of God, to be his true representatives and ambassadors, we got to have one, at least one characteristic, a characteristic among all the rest. 
that we don't currently have. And no one has had since Cain came into the world, Adam and Eve's first son. This aspect which Adam and Eve had as the first fruit of God's creation, they had, we don't have, on the earth, like himself in his likeness, is sinlessness. What I'm saying is, is that we are born into the world. Cain was born into the world and everybody after him. But Adam, Adam and Eve were not born into the world. They were created. God created Adam out of the dust of the earth and he took out a rib and created and fashioned Eve from that. There was no birth process. Okay, There was no um, procreation of one human to another to another to another throughout the last you know six or eight thousand years. So there's quite a difference between God creating something like himself that was sinless, at least for the first day or two until they disobeyed, didn't take long at all. But their first son, the firstborn of the human race, and thereafter was Cain. And he was not at all perfect. You can read about that. And so there is an aspect of God that if we're going to be made in his image, in other words, created by him, like Adam and Eve were, they were sinless. But then when they brought some, but when they disobeyed and they sinned, and then they brought something into the world, didn't create it, but birthed it. They weren't created in the image of God from Cain and forward because they were no longer sinless. And that's one of God's main characteristics. Yes, he's love. But he's also justice, he's also righteousness, he's also holiness. And all those things are part of what it means to be sinless and vice versa. So Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, they were sinless. They sinned and then they procreated and then on after the main reason for being made in the image of God, not the only one, but the main one, is to be sinless. And Cain and Abel and everybody else after that, including us, were not. So we're not completely made in the image of God. Understand this. It's very important. You and I were, as King David points out in Psalm 51, 5, he says, I was brought forth, meaning born, in iniquity, which is another word for sin. And more than that, he says, in sin did my mother conceive me. So David understood, I didn't come into the world, I wasn't created by God, I was born through his creation and their genealogy. I was born in sin, he said, and more than that, my mother even conceived me when she was in sin. So we're not made in the image of God in that regard. This, says David, and you and I were born sinful. Additionally, our mothers and fathers who conceived us were sinful as well. There was never a human being born into this world that was sinless. Adam and Eve were not born of God as we said they were created by God. Adam and Eve, therefore, were created in the image of God. But you and I and Cain and all the others were conceived and born into sin from our inception. So we were not created, but born. And we were not made in the image of God. 
not in this one, more uh, hugely, this one hugely important area. And this can't be overlooked or go untaught. It is a foundational and elemental truth. And, and it's at the very heart of our need for salvation and why Jesus Christ left the throne room, came to the earth, submitted willingly and lovingly to his creation, and offered himself obediently as Savior. To say we are created in the image of God is at least in part to say or to imply that we're sinless. That to the unsaved, the unregenerated soul, this is absolutely untrue and unfortunately applies to a large section of the global population because Matthew 7.13 tells us, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. Now let's look at a few scriptures from the perfect, infallible, inerrant word of God, the Bible, and see what it has to say and to teach us about this. And these all have to do with the image of God or Christ Jesus. If we look in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, it says about God, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, You don't tell somebody that's already in the image of God that he needs to be conformed into the image of God. That makes no sense. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7, it says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Okay, so we're talking about if we're going to represent God, we have to represent his glory. We can do that as saved believers because God has saved our souls and washed us clean from our sins. And he views us because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that we are, spiritually speaking, not in our bodies, not in the natural, but in our spiritually speaking, we are sinless. So we are made in his image and glory. But to the unbeliever, who has not been regenerated, who has not been saved yet by the blood of Jesus because of his own choice. He is not the glory of God, so he is not made in the image of God because God is sinless. 1 Corinthians, a little bit further down, 15, verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the, of the man of dust, meaning Adam, our soul also Excuse me. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the Son of Heaven. Okay? This is, again, saying we shall, meaning we don't yet have. Okay? Now, if you're talking to the Christian, it's saying, yes, I, God considered us, considers us sinless because of Jesus' blood covering us and washing us of all sin. But we know in, in the natural, our bodies still carry around sin, and we still do sin, and we're tempted by it. So it's here, just as we are born, or just as long as we bear out 
the image of the man of dust. In other words, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we feel, the things that we do, the things that we think. We are made in the image, the image of, of the man of dust, Adam. Okay, but we shall also bear, not yet, but also bear the image of the Son of Heaven, who is Jesus. Colossians 1.55, talking about Jesus, says he is the image, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, Jesus is God. He doesn't have a beginning and an end. There is no beginning of eternity and end of eternity. The time is nothing with God except something we deal with on earth. But what he means by that is when my son, my coexistent person in the Trinity, became born of a woman as a man, he was already perfect and sinless his entire life. So he was in the image of the invisible God. He was the firstborn of all creations. When he says the firstborn of all creation, he means the firstborn of all the ones to be perfected, the ones who are going to be glorified, the ones who are going to spend eternity with God, the Christians. So we find in Romans 8.29 that man needs to be, like we said, conformed to the image of God, his son Jesus Christ. That's what our sanctified life is. That's what God means when he's bringing us from glory to glory to glory. As we said before, but a little differently here, the word conformed means to take something as it is and mold it or change it or transform it into something it isn't, or at least not yet. So man in his natural state and condition in which he is born, excuse me, is not in the image of God. Only when he's sinless and blameless and saved and forgiven and washed clean can he make such a claim. I hope you understand this. Second Corinthians 5.21, you've heard this before. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, might become means we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> so we're not made in the image of God if we're not yet righteous. And here it says that in him, if we're not in Jesus, we are not in him. So we have not yet become the righteousness, righteousness of God. We are not sinless and we may never be if we are unregenerate. We will never be if we're unregenerate and and unforgiven and un unwashed and still blemished and still rebellion, uh, being in a state of rebellion against God. While we remain in the flesh, are sinners and we, while we are, I can't even get this out, while we remain in the flesh, we are sinners. Okay, and we are dead in our transgressions. Since that is the case, not if, can we honestly say that we are the image of God? Of course not. While we are unsaved, are we holy? No, God is. Are we just? No, God is. Are we righteous? No, God is. Are we love or do we love? 
We don't even have that capacity. Are we light? No, God is. So what we can see, we can see what a false statement it is to tell or teach that we are born or made in the image of God. He is truth and light and love and he's just and he's holy and he's righteous. And we can't lay claim to anyone, let alone all of these. Adam and Eve were created, not born, and they were both the first fruit of humankind and were not anyone's descendants. They were not made from any human seed, nor was Jesus. Now, he was born through Mary's womb, but Matthew 1.18 tells us Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and his power, not by man. That's why it also says Joseph and Mary had not known each other in that manner yet. And that's why God had it that way. That's why God said, you know, he must have told him personally. But anyway, that's why the truth of the, of the birth of Jesus is the way it is. If Jesus, excuse me, if, if Joseph had had sex with Mary, rightfully so, in their marriage state, people would have always said, oh, you're not from God. You were, you were born from Mary. You know, you're, you're Joseph's son. Somebody would have made that claim, but they have never been able to make that claim, at least not in truth, because it doesn't stand up. Because God said, look, Joseph and Mary didn't know each other sexually until after Mary's impregnated by the Holy Spirit and Jesus was born. In that fact, he was born, but he was more like created. So he was created in the image of God because it was, he was impregnated by the spiritual seed, not by the worldly seed. So that gave a big no to anybody that wanted to lay the claim to the fact that Jesus was imperfect. Once Eve disobeyed God's only command not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she, through her own choice, but also Satan's deception, sin then entered the world. Everything after that would change mankind's image and the world around him and their offspring, beginning, like I said before, with Cain, their first child. The firstborn, not created, of humanity for a very, very, very long time, even to and beyond today. Like David said, Cain was born in sin, and even he was conceived in iniquity, and so were all of us. Cain was not born in the image of God. He killed his brother, Abel. Is God the author of death? No, he's the author and giver of life, it says in Acts 3.15. We absolutely, brothers and sisters, can't say to the unsaved, unregenerate, non-transformed, evil, wicked, dead in their sins people, no matter how much we love them, that they are made in the image of God. Not only is this misleading and untrue, but it gives people the false impression that they're okay the way they are. This is what the world says. The church doesn't need to utter the same things the world says. In fact, it works against, not with, the Holy Spirit's ministry of convicting mankind of their sin. John 16 7 and 8 tells us this. What do I mean by that? Okay, it says the Holy Spirit convicts men of their sins. And it goes beyond that. So not only are we telling somebody something that's untrue, which Christians don't propagate 
untruth, they propagate truth. They preach truth, they teach truth, they live out truth. So we can't tell them they're made in the image of God because they're not. Not to the point where they're sinless, and that's the main thing. And again, Jesus is sinless. He lived in this world, but he was not a born human being. He was impregnated by seed from God, not from man. So his holiness was kept pure throughout his whole life because he was God, but because even though he was born through a woman, through her his becoming a seed and going through the birth process the way we do, the beginning of his life, the spiritual seed that caused by the power of the Holy Spirit that caused him to be to Mary to be impregnated with him was the beginning of all of that life and he was sinless and he remained sinless. So as we said, it gives people the false impression that they're okay. And it won't here's the here's the the downside. Here's the bad thing. Besides its untruth, it doesn't stop there. Okay? If you think you're okay with God, then it's not going to produce repentance and salvation. And we want them to have that. They've got to have it if they want to spend eternity with God and be in heaven. And like we said, it, it actually works against, not with, the Holy Spirit's ministry of convicting mankind of their sin. Now, he's, man, the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn man. They're condemned already, but he doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit wants you to be saved. So he convicts you, not just makes you aware of your sin, but convicts you. And that's why guilt is a good thing. God, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm imperfect. Of course, I have sin in my life. Everybody does, from Cain and onward. It's meant to produce uh, a godly sorrow of the fact, a recognition of the fact, an acknowledgement of the fact that you are sinful. So, like Peter was telling the first believers in Acts, he told them all this, and they were like, okay, well, who, who can get to heaven because we're all sinful? Okay, it's kind of a question maybe you want to ask in response to the conviction you hopefully feel from the Holy Spirit. And that's when Peter said, there is something you can do. Repent, every one of you, and be cleansed of your sin and turn from your wicked ways and turn back to God. Let him regenerate you and make you perfect through the blood of Jesus and in his eyes. Then you can be called sons and daughters of God and know that you're destined for heaven. So to say you're made in the image of God, if it conveys the wrong thing and you're not careful how you, how you articulate that, and it is important, then you're going to leave people with a false impression. They're going to continue on as they go. And if they're going to church and they think, okay, I'm going to church. I believe in God as I used to when I was younger. And I thought that's all there was. I must be a Christian. I must be okay. I never heard the gospel. And I would have remained in my sins and died if, if, if it hadn't been explained to me. Thank you, Jesus. So only through awareness of sin and acknowledgement of and taking responsibility for that sin is that godly sorrow going to be possible then repentance follows confession of the sin follows and that leads to forgiveness and that's a and then that's a it's a washing clean of one's soul and salvation rebirth comes from that and this is what leads to what we want for people to have eternal life and what is this john 17 3 actually says we think eternal life just means living forever well that sounds good and that is true but the bible says this is what eternal life means in john 17 3 
it says, and this is eternal life. That they, people, know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that doesn't mean just believe in their existence or just acknowledge what you've been told in church or something like that. That means you don't have eternal life. We don't. I don't. If we don't intimately know you, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that is eternal life. This will not happen so long as we believe and are content with the well-intentioned, like I said, misconception or flat-out lie that we're made in the image of God. This is a road that leads to destruction that many travel, as the Bible says we mentioned earlier. This will lead to eternal death. Separation from God, not reconciliation to God. It will end in the lake of fire. That's just truth. That's just biblical. The wonderful, though, the wonderful, fantastic, hope-filled and excellent news is that which is proclaimed in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. To be in Christ means to be willingly agreeable to and submitted to his lordship, his being there, our master, over there, over our lives. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth and the universe and all his creation anyway. He's the owner. He's God Almighty. All power and all authority belongs to him. He's the savior and the redeemer of all mankind. His position doesn't change and it's not conditional. His rule and his kingship exist and are established forever from eternity past to eternity future. Whether we choose, like Eve, to submit or not to submit. Civil government and the police are just two examples of our immediate authorities. Whether we acknowledge that and are, and are living according to their rules doesn't change that. When we submit and obey, our lives in that regard are peaceful. Or mock or rebel against their civil authority is not to submit or not to obey and not and it is to invite arrest or fines or imprisonment our lives become disorderly and chaotic and no peace or freedom exists and consequences follow why do i say that because i'm trying to get you to understand if you don't already that jesus is lord he is master of all the universe he is god he created everything in the physical world out of nothing. No Big Bang, no evolution, none of that. Jesus is preeminent, the Bible tells us. Not just eminent, but preeminent. He is the highest name given among men by which we must be saved, the only name. He is, his name is the highest above all men because he laid down his life for his sheep. I'm saying that to tell you that whether you submit to him or not, he is still Lord over you. You may not 
submit to him, you may not obey him, you may not respect him, but, but there's consequences. And in his case, eternal consequences, because you have an eternal soul. And that's why I mentioned the police and the authorities that he has established. They are your authorities, and you may not see them that way. You may not want to acknowledge that. You may not want to submit to or obey or live by their rules, but that doesn't change the fact that they are your authorities. That's what I'm telling you. So whether you believe in Jesus, whether you accept his terms as Lord and Master, whether you submit to him, believe in him, um, obey him, whatever it is, he is still Lord of all the universe. The question is, is he going to be your personal Lord and Savior? And that means, do you personally submit to him? As an individual, is he your intimate, knowledgeable um, God? He is still the authority, whether you obey him or not. That's what I'm trying to say. And when we stop submitting to what we falsely think of as our autonomy, or our self-governance, or our self-authority, whatever you want to call it, we submit all of our created being. When we stop submitting to what we falsely think of as those things, when we do submit all of our created being to the author of life, and we renounce permanently our lives of sin, we follow after committedly the Lord Jesus Christ, believing and placing our trust in the fact and the knowledge and the truth that he is the only means by which we might be saved. That's Acts 4, 11, and 12. We confess our transgressions against him, we're baptized in his name, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the one triune God. Then we are given new hearts, like it says in Ezekiel 36:26. Our sin is washed away by Jesus' shed blood on the cross, and we are, by God, remembered our sins are remembered no more. Hallelujah. Hebrews 8:12. The Spirit will live in us as a guarantee of our salvation and a deposit of the things to come. That's 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Then we will become new creations in Christ Jesus. And the fruit of his spirit living in us will begin to manifest itself in our lives. Galatians 5, 22 through 24 says this, but the fruit or the evidence, the manifestation of the Spirit, not of the flesh, of the Spirit living in us, will be love, godly love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, the Bible says. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. And these things will increase as we walk with him and he leads us to and through sanctification and the continual purging of the dross, the impurities in our lives that we talked about before in another episode, leading us to be purer and purer and purer like him. Philippians 1.6 says this, and this is great. 
It comforts me. And I am sure of this, Paul says, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. You must be made new. Colossians 1.15, like we mentioned before, states that Jesus says that he is the image, the exact representation of the invisible God. And only in him can we claim we are made in his image. Wisdom and grace and love and mercy be yours in abundance. I love you guys. I hope you understand this. God bless you.